Greetings. We hope you enjoy this podcast of a Science for the Public program. If you'd like to see the video of this program, just search the title on our website under the Archives tab at the top of the homepage, www.scienceforthepublic.org. Good evening. I'm Yvonne Stapp for Science for the Public, and I welcome you to Contemporary Science Issues and Innovations. Tonight, we learn about a group of pervasive toxins, perfluorinated compounds, found in many everyday products. They have a serious impact on health, development, and environment, and they are found everywhere. A major issue is how 3M and DuPont, producers of these chemicals, failed to reveal the toxicity data for decades. The concealment made it very difficult for scientists to evaluate these chemicals. To explain all this, we have one of the leading investigators in this area of research, Philippe Grandjean. Dr. Grandjean is a physician and prominent scientist. He's a professor and chair of environmental medicine at the University of Southern Denmark and also adjunct professor at environmental health at the Harvard Chan School of Public Health. He's also co-editor of the journal Environmental Health. He's also the author of Only One Chance, How Environmental Pollution Impairs Brain Development and How to Protect the Brains of the Next Generation. As an international expert on the impact of numerous industrial toxins on brain development and neurodegenerative diseases, Dr. Grandjean and his research colleagues have over the decades urged the medical community and regulatory agencies to address many urgent toxin issues. Recently, Dr. Grandjean published an editorial in the Environmental Health News about 3M and DuPont concealment of data on perfluorinated compounds, and this article has been widely cited in the media. We are most fortunate to have him with us tonight to discuss the issue and give us the facts we're very honored to welcome Dr. Philippe Grandjean. Welcome. I'm happy to be here. So, Dr. Grandjean, could you give us a little background to start with what are these chemicals and what are they found in? Well, chemically, it, it, it's like a, a chain of carbon atoms that are bound together mm -hmm. and then that molecule is wrapped in, in fluorine. So, and, and the, it's a very tight bonding, and that means that the molecule is uh, essentially resistant to even acids and uh, ultraviolet light, et cetera. Good heavens, yes. So, so they are very persistent in the environment and in our bodies. Yeah. So if we are exposed to these compounds, we tend to keep them in the body for many, many years. and and. For that reason, um, you know, we, as we age, we, we seem to accumulate more. Uh, yeah. And so there's an age relationship. Right. Now, what are they found in? Well, they, they come from a variety of sources, and some of them are direct. For, for example, uh, if you are buying microwave popcorn, yeah. then the, the uh, popcorn is wrapped in a plastic bag, and that's what you put in your microwave. Yeah. And that plastic bag has to have some, you know, chemical, physical properties, and you can achieve that 
by um, using these perforated compounds um, to uh, essentially line the bag. Right. And the problem is, of course, that you, you get those compounds into your popcorn. Right. Um, okay. it, but, but because they're so useful, they, they are also used in, in uh, you know, uh, all sorts of food wrapping materials. Yeah. Uh, and like like flour bags, uh, they're used in in uh, baking uh, paper. Yes, um, uh, you know sheets. Anything to kind of resist water or moisture exactly. or something. Oh, that it, okay. It, they are water repellent. They're also fat repellent. Yeah. And okay. and uh, dirt. Rep I mean, you you use them also um, to protect your sofa, your couch. Oh my gosh. So yeah. that if you spill, um, you you happen to uh, kick over your your coffee cup. Right. Then it sort of runs off the textile in instead of making a, a an, an ugly. Um, uh, uh, spot on, on uh, that, that fine uh, textile. So, um, and, and the problem is that these compounds also turn up in house dust be oh. because you wear them off. They also come from your raincoat yes. uh, that uh, is protected by, by these compounds so that you don't get wet. Right. And I have seen some reference to like, uh, what's the, the stuff that the firefighters use and around right. military bases? Right. That right. All, all actually all air, air bases, uh, um, also commercial uh, airports. Uh, they they are used to um, you know to generate the foam that you use to uh, extinguish let's say uh, gasoline fires or uh, oil fires because yes. if you use water it just goes right through yeah. so you have to use uh, this foam forming uh, fire extinguishing um, material and that's what these compounds are used for and in in the military I've seen pictures of this uh, the the uh, soldiers or firefighters whatever they are I've seen them walking around in foam up to their you know their necks essentially yeah, right, right. and then where does it go afterwards well it is somewhat water-soluble and, and that's very unfortunate. That means that it seeps through the soil into the groundwater. And, and they, uh, in America and, and in uh, many other countries, uh, there are numerous cases where we can see that this has been going on for decades. Nobody thought about it. Nobody thought, where are these compounds going after the fire dwell? Yeah. And um, then suddenly, um, Somebody discovers that the, the people who live nearby and that get their either their own wells or its community supply yeah. uh, water, then uh, they turn out to have enormous concentrations of these compounds in, in their bodies. And, and the problem is we can't get it out again. Uh, okay, and from the water and the soil and so on, everything, it's everywhere. Right. Let's right. Say it's well, but you you can actually lose a little bit, and that that's where you uh, you know as a woman you have an advantage. I uh, see. And because women can, uh, you know, along with their monthly uh, blood loss, they, they lose a little bit with the blood, and and there have been some studies that that showed that blood donors actually have lower concentrations of these compounds because in their bodies rid of the because blood. they donate along it's, it's with the that serum. but fortunately uh, the, the blood is still safe for the, for the patients that need it uh, because the concentrations are, are low and it I will see. get diluted in the body yeah but the unfortunate thing is that women will also pass on these compounds to the fetus because they pass the placenta they even appear in human milk 
And, and we have um, examined blood samples from infants, and, and we can see that uh, the longer they are breastfed, the higher the blood concentration of these compounds. So, so that a child, let's say, after six months of um, uh, exclusive breastfeeding, uh, the child may have as much as 10 times the concentration that the mother has, because hers has dropped a little bit, and then all of that is being distributed in a much smaller body. The distribution volume uh. is smaller, and so the concentration uh, gets higher. And, and that is critical in my mind be yeah. because, you know, when, when we developed our organ functions, uh, uh, the immune system, uh, the brain, etc., um, we are in a very, very susceptible um, age range be because essentially we are generating the organs that are going to last our lifetime. Yeah. And, and that is a very intensive pr uh, process. Uh, in the beginnings of life. And so it's, it's prenatally and it's the early uh, postnatal period. Okay, and what are the, the, what things in terms of health and development do, the, do these things uh, well, affect? It, we have come to understand that these are multi-organ poisons, so they affect a lot of things. Uh, we've found out that they are endocrine disruptors, so they will affect our hormone systems. Uh, for example, we, we can see that uh, it's ironic, but a mother uh, who's just given birth, uh, if she has a lot of these compounds in her body, she's incapable of breastfeeding for very long. And of course that protects the fetus, uh, I mean the infant, from, from getting a high concentration. But on the other hand, if she wants to breastfeed her child, it means that her milk glands are not fully developed and, and incapable of responding so that she will have to shift to uh, substitute instead. Uh, and uh, I mean, this is against uh, the is advice really from physicians from CDC. Right, uh, right, right. We have right. don't hear a lot. The other is that in many parts of the world, that's what they depend on. They don't have these right. other formulas, right. you know. And, so. and, and we normally say that, uh, you know, to use community water uh, for making uh, a milk substitute uh, is unsafe in many parts of the Heavens, world. Yes. But, but then, what are you going to do? Exactly. And if the water is also polluted with these compounds, it, it, this is really a, a catch-22. Right. It, it, it's ironic and, and unfortunately, uh, it's the fetus, it's the infant that is taken hostage. It's, yeah, right. It's, and, 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 and so uh, I think that uh, all of these concerns that we have in regard to environmental chemicals, uh, toxic and various kinds, all of these issues uh, meet up here in, in regard to the perfluorinated compounds. Right. Now, I just want to make sure before we leave this that there are a list of diseases that, that are like possibly Parkinson's, a whole uh, slew of things that it affects. So it affects development, and that's one of your specialities. We'll come back to. Right. to but uh, the, does it affect thyroid or uh, any of anything else that? 
Right. I mean, I mean the list is, is there, growing. And it's just so long a list. Yeah. yeah. The, the, and the list is growing. And, and in some cases, we have a suspicion, and we don't I know see. for sure yet. But but I talked to you about breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. And, and um, uh, let, let me just men mention another example. We, we um, have been looking at um, metabolism in adults. And, and uh, it looks like that if you have more of these compounds in your body, you're more likely to develop diabetes, uh, what we call type 2 diabetes. Uh, Which is epidemic in this country. Of, of course, and, and, and it, you know, we have a diabetes epidemic. Mm -hmm. And what we don't know for sure is, you know, how large a role do these compounds play, but, but it looks like it, it could be very significant. And related to that, it also seems that uh, these compounds interfere with your metabolism so that uh, you, you have difficulty losing weight. I mean, if, if you're trying to get your weight down a little bit, um, a study that was published very recently in, in which I participated, uh, we, we showed that um, people who had been through a diet with calorie restriction and managed to lose weight those people who had uh, a lot of these compounds in their blood, they fairly rapidly gained back that weight. Uh. While those who are low in, in, with these contaminants, they had a better chance of keeping the weight down. So, so we think that this could be part of the explanation. Mm -hmm. We know we have uh, an obesity uh, epidemic. And, and it's kind of strange because we also know that, uh, because we've been preaching uh, that, you know, you need to eat, to eat healthy and people exercise. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, we mm -hmm. still see there's more mm -hmm. obesity. And, and so the concern is that these compounds are actually making the situation worse. Just on that, the fact that you see uh, so many children who are obese, and that, that, that's unusual to have that early right. in life. Do you think that that might be related also, that it's I, not just right. what they're eating? I mean, well, it is I, what I they're eating. I certainly do, I certainly do. Because our studies where, where we can see that the exposure to these compounds prenatally or in early life are associated with the children uh, gaining weight uh, the, mm. with a higher BMI, body mass index, or, or uh, uh, later on we can see that they have difficulties uh, me metabolizing the uh, glucose, uh, so, so they tend toward develop, uh, developing uh, type 2 diabetes at an early age. Mm -hmm. and, and I mean, the, this is a concern that we may not see everything during the time span. I mean, if we're lucky, we get a research grant for five years, but, but, but that, maybe, uh, yeah. maybe we have to follow this up uh, for much longer right. time. A lifespan at this point with something like this. Right, right. And, and what we hear is that the regulatory agencies, um, they'd like to have solid documentation. Sure. And yeah. if all we have are little pieces of the jigsaw puzzle, and, and we think that this fits into a particular picture, and we're very concerned about it, then um, in, in my mind, if we're talking about uh, lifetime uh, effects uh, that, that we are affecting uh, essentially the, the youngest generation for a lifetime, we got to be more upfront mm -hmm. trying to control that to secure a healthy life for the next generation. 
And but we, we're sort of looking at this uh, in the same way as we have been looking at acute poisons, uh, where it's much easier to get the evidence. And and we're not we still still have the bar is high. Yeah, right. And, I can understand. And, and we it's hard for us to live up to that mm -hmm. uh, kind of a proof. Uh, and, and therefore, it, it's, um, it's an ongoing battle. Right. One more thing is, uh, did I read in that the uh, environmental health news, the editorial, or, or one of your other articles, that this affects immunizations as well? Right, right. It, it may be the most uh, sensitive uh, body function, uh, the immune system. And, and what, we, what we essentially did uh, because it, we, we are immunizing our kids, uh, yeah, so th right. this is like an intervention that everybody gets, and, and they get the same dose at about the same yeah. age, and, and therefore um, it, it's very meaningful to measure the antibody concentration. So if you get a tetanus shot, yeah. uh, the immune cells will develop antibodies that are specific for tetanus. And so, uh, and we have an assay to measure that, yeah. And what we could see was that with these childhood um, immunizations, if, if the concentration of perfluorinated compounds is doubled, then the child loses about 50% of the antibody concentration. So, so that the immune uh, response to the vaccine is dulled and, and some of the kids don't even make it so that there is any sufficient antibody to protect them. And I don't think that tetanus is a big problem, but, mm -hmm, but I mm -hmm. mean, why do the vaccinations mm -hmm, if they mm -hmm. don't work? I mean, the idea is, of course, that we want all the kids to have lifetime protection and, uh, you know, to respond optimally to the vaccine. And now we're saying um, we can see it. Not all of the kids do, and especially those with high concentrations of perfluorinated compounds in the body, they don't do what we expect them to do, right. which means maybe we have to vaccinate them again. Yeah. And, and we just don't have those studies yet. Ex yeah, you don't know and what you're toying we, with, really. Yeah. We, with the beginning of realizing what's going on. And then the question is, of course, Will that relate to kids' uh, risk to develop asthma or allergies? Uh, and, and again, we're at the beginning of that. It seems that there may be some uh, increased risk of developing uh, asthma under certain circumstances. But you know, asthma is uh, it's not a single disease. It's like a clinical pack, uh, package of yeah. uh, several ways you can develop the asthma. So, so we don't have, uh, in my mind, sufficient evidence to understand fully what, what's going on. Right. And, and certainly you need the immune system to protect yourself against uh, cancer cells. Yeah. That's what the immune system does. And, and uh, I mean, th there is a, uh, an increased risk for developing certain kinds of cancer. We don't know why because these compounds are not reactive. The, this carbon chain uh, wrapped into fluoride yeah. um, is not reactive, so it doesn't do very much to the DNA, but maybe it does something to the immune cells. Yeah, so, yeah. so if you, for some reason, 
are developing, you know, a single cancer cell, it's not being picked up by the immune system, and then it can generate the disease. It, it's, it's a hypothesis, I don't know, right, right. but um, I hope that we will get to understand but this. But it looks like it's so complex at this point, you need a lot more time and uh, maybe different ways of approaching it because it's so complicated, and meanwhile, you're gonna have these unhealthy uh, populations because this is a worldwide thing. I would like to ask now about this concealment of the information. This is not widely known, but you bring, uh, you, you bring this out, and now everybody is very interested. Not the first time such a thing happened. Could you tell us what happened and the impact on the scientific community, which was your big point? Well, well, you know, there's the uh, open research, the, the academic research, and uh, what the agencies do. Uh, and in this regard here, um, the companies, of course, did some uh, animal studies to uh, get an understanding of um, uh, whether these compounds were bad in one way or another. And, and they apparently had some surprises that <laughs> these compounds were not as safe as they mm -hmm, believed mm -hmm. and, and uh, thought they might be. And, and so uh, we don't know very much about it because uh, uh, the Environmental Protection Agency um, uh, realized, uh, you know, uh, w with many years of delay, that this information existed. And supposedly the, the companies uh, should have reported this to the EPA and, and didn't. Uh, and, and of course the companies had a, a, an interest in, in not reporting disadvantageous information about their products. Uh, I mean, they were eager, they, they had excellent um, chemical and physical properties and they were very useful for certain purposes. So, so why mess up the uh, marketing strategy with information, oh, by the way, don't drink this stuff. Yeah. So um, they had their own interests in this. And, and um, I understand that the um, EPA it then uh, find uh, or they, they charge uh, companies uh, who have been doing this without reporting it uh, for because this was not in accordance with the Texas Substances Control Act. Uh, and um, so information existed. And what has happened lately is that there have been some uh, lawsuits. Uh, and in that regard, the, the courts have released information uh, about some of the documents that, uh, uh, that surfaced in, in connection with uh, uh, the discovery phase of uh, these law uh, lawsuits. And, and, and that has now um, revealed to us, uh, and, and maybe it's just the tip of the iceberg, I don't know, yeah. but, but at least we can see that, uh, for example, with the immune system, that there was a study done in 1978 mm -hmm. that showed that the immune system wa was very vulnerable to per perforinated compounds. And, and, I mean, nobody knew about it. I mean, outside the, the private sector. And, and therefore the research was not done. Mm -hmm. And what happened to make this even worse was that when the EPA and other agencies started uh, worrying about these compounds after the year 2000, when some of this information came out, then they didn't even use that information. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was on, on a panel for, for the um, European Food Safety Authority on perfluorinated compounds 
And all that we were told was that there was a single animal study on perfluorinated compounds, and, and that was not very scary. Uh, we didn't see the study from 1978, even if it was in the public domain. Right. So it was not formally published in a journal or yeah. in a book, right. but the report existed yeah. and could have been retrieved from the EPA. It, you bring up that a court case brought out the evidence, but as a very prominent scientist who spent his life working on this kind of stuff, not having access to that information really seems like it handicapped you and your colleagues and set you back. What does it take? I mean, does it takes like a, uh, a, a lawsuit to obtain the information, is that it? it, it it's ironic. I, I don't have the answer, but, yeah. but, but I can tell you my personal feeling yeah. because we thought in 2012 when we published a paper on uh, immunizations uh, in a large number of children, we could see these uh, highly dramatic losses of antibodies. Uh, we thought that we had made a scary <laughs> and important scientific discovery. Now, it, what I didn't know was that the EPA actually had in mm. their files this monkey study from 1978 that discovered the same thing 30 years before I got there. Yeah. And so it was really a rediscovery and, and in a way Hey, we worked really hard. We followed these kids from the moment they were born. We got yeah, blood yeah. samples from the, the umbilical cord, and then we followed them up. I, I think these, uh, the data, they were from ages five and seven. And so you can imagine that's a yeah, long time yeah, span. Right, right. And, and so we worked very hard uh, to get this information. And then um, recently I, w I, was, I was told that oh, there is this monkey study that showed the same thing in 1978. And you needed to be working on this that would have been extremely helpful to, if there was an indication that you knew about before 1980, you would have had at least 20 years to be working on right. this right. this stuff, more than that, you know, to, right. uh, to be mean, working on, to follow children. Exactly. I mean, we, we were naive in that we, we thought that these compounds were stable and not reactive and therefore we uh, thought they're, they're probably uh, not uh, toxic. And, and that was, of course, also what the industry you better wanted us it. to yes, believe. Right. On the other hand, we work uh, to further public health. Yeah. And um, since these compounds are stable, they accumulate in the environment. Yeah. They are now in our fish. Yeah. They are in the drinking water uh, across the nation. And um, not everywhere, but, but in many, many places, right. very high concentrations. And, and we just can't get them out of there. So because this was, information was not available to us and uh, the agencies didn't, didn't push as out as they perhaps could have done, uh, this information w was sort of uh, kept in the background. And, and you know, my colleagues and myself, I mean, we had no idea. Right, and, and so, so there's one, number one. There's a sort of loss to science in right. that we put back uh, in in time uh, we, with this delay. But there is also a consequence to public health because now we're realizing that we have a problem. 
but you have those compounds in your blood. That's right, everybody. But as a physician, all I can do is to tell you the bad news. I can't t tell you I write this prescription yeah, and, then, right. and then, you know, take these pills for <laughs> right. a week and you'll be fine. Right. There's no it's way right. I can do it. Exactly. Um, the, my impression is that the, 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 these agencies, the, the protective agencies, which are under attack here now uh, with, a, with a, uh, the kind of a political mentality that we don't need regulations. So there, that's going to be one handicap. But it, my impression from you is that scientists really count on these regulatory agencies. So the two things, is that true? You, it's, it's hard, you, you really count on them getting information for you from industries. Secondly, is this a worldwide problem, like in the EU nations, yeah, and Denmark is very yeah, progressive. Sure. Is just, yeah. do you have the same problem? But, yeah. But let, let, let me yeah, take the, the, the first, first thing first, um, and and uh, certainly when uh, we rely on EPN. EPN has done a, a great number of, of, of fantastic things, like uh, making sure we're not uh, adding lead additives mm -hmm. to uh, to gasoline. Uh, but you it know, took just a long to name time. One. Well, <laughs> but but and we can see that the EPA did rely on science, and there's now a movement um, from the EPA that uh, they want to put restrictions on the kind of science that they will rely on mm -hmm. in the future. And I mean, if those rules had been in place. 30 years ago, we would still have lead in, in gasoline. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we couldn't have done all those things. So I think that that's, I simply don't understand it. I mean, it's beyond me. I, how can anybody propose something like that, that, the, that has come from uh, the EPA? So, but that uh, poses a new question to me. And that, that's why I feel uneasy. Um, because um, it, if the EPA is not doing it, protecting public health, uh, should I do it then? Mm -hmm. I mean, should I stand up and be, you know, get on the barricades uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and be more aggressive in this regard? But, but here's a problem. If the moment I, I try to appear as an advocate uh, for some policy, then I will essentially be labeled for as somebody who favors a particular policy, and then I lose my neutrality. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I want to be an impartial sure. scientist because that's the only way I can convince you as a taxpayer, I can convince uh, hopefully the EPA, um, the private sector uh, to the extent that they, they are accept uh, academic uh, research as uh, documentation, it, that's my only chance. So this puts me in a dilemma. Do mm -hmm, I want mm -hmm. to be pushed into policy development, or do I still sort of naively believe that if I do a good study, people will also listen and act upon it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, but to, to, to go into your, in, your question about uh, international aspects, then, mm -hmm then I think, uh, I believe that the EU is um, in front of America by now mm -hmm. because there's um, a uh, chemical legislation called REACH and, and REACH has to do with, with registration and labeling uh, and uh, testing of industrial chemicals. So we are also in the EU uh, testing chemicals that 
have been in use in the past, before mm -hmm. these legislations mm -hmm. uh, uh, started uh, were enacted. But, but in, in this country, it's, it's happening, you know, they're supposed to name like 10 compounds at a time and, and with thousands of compounds around us, then, I mean, we have a huge job in front right. of us. My hope is that because we're dealing with internationalization yeah, and globalization, my hope is that um, uh, the, the country or the un European Union, uh, whatever, that has the strictest uh, regulation, that they can help inspire that to become more international. Be because my understanding from talking to people from the private sector, they're not interested in different legislations in different countries. They want to be able to market their, you know, let's say cosmetics or let's say house paint. Popcorn uh, bags. Yeah, they, well, <laughs> they don't want to make a particular product, uh, let, let's say um, eyeliner. Uh, in the EU uh, that uh, is in compliance with EU legislation, they want to to have the same eyeliner across the board yeah. so that they can export this uh, from yeah, America right, to the right. EU and vice versa. And, and I think that um, we, we somehow need to insist that uh, science should, um, let's say, serve as documentation for the you know strictest appropriate mm -hmm. um, legislation, and that we're not aiming at, uh, uh, let's say, um, uh, becoming uh, serving the uh, let's say the US EPA or mm -hmm. the FDA, mm -hmm. the Food and Drug mm -hmm. Administration, mm -hmm. but but that we are dealing with international problems mm -hmm. here. We're dealing mm -hmm. with global health. Mm -hmm. We're dealing with the the. Uh, perfluorinated compounds, mm -hmm. they are all over the world. Right. They are, I mean, they are prominent in uh, Australia. They have huge problems with near the um, military airports, for example, in Australia. They are big problem in China, in Japan, uh, all of the countries that have published about this. I've analyzed blood samples from uh, West Africa. They're full and of perfluorinated yeah, compounds, right, right. simply because uh, our gum wrap or our everything uh, is yeah, it's in our, everything. not necessarily uh, microwave popcorn right, but, right. but all of these products are also right. reaching fellow human, human beings in yeah, Africa right. or Oceania or uh, Lapland wh right. whatever remote countries they reach Greenland because yes. they are in the marine food chains yeah. so if the Greenlander is uh, eating salmon or seal or whatever that they Which harvest they do, the sea, right. they get perfluorinated compounds. The highest concentrations that have been measured are in polar bear liver uh. and, and the polar bears are not sitting on treated couches, right, they're right. not using uh, rain gear they, they not are not using rap. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, but and it's this, just everywhere. And this is a result of the global uh, pollution, and and I think that we saw it with DDT. Yes. That this, which was a very stable compound, we realized this is fantastic. We only need to spray against mosquitoes, let's say once a year or every second year or something like that. And now these compounds, we use them to protect our couch and our wall-to-wall -wall carpet, and it will you know, protect it for a very long time, yeah. and maybe you have to spray it once or twice right. uh, later on. Right. But we are paying a price for this, or yes. rather, you and I may pay a small price, but it's the, the next, young the generation youngest generation. Is they suffer. are s 
paying a very severe price that, that may not be obvious at this point. Yes. I am sorry that we are out of time. This is really wonderful information. I appreciate so much your coming in and talking to us. And I wish I, all the best to you in terms of the research. It must be very trying for the scientific community, uh, very frustrating. Uh, uh, to deal with this kind of thing. But it's a pleasure to be here with you. Oh, thank and, you. <laughs> and to, to meet such uh, an understanding uh, We're understanding. Okay. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this podcast of a Science for the Public event. Please check out our website, www.scienceforthepublic.org, for videos of all our events lists of upcoming events, our weekly Sci News Roundup newsletter, and timely science information.